This interview was conducted by Robin Banuelos at PNI South Bay, located at Providence Little Company of Mary in Torrance, California. The Think Neuro podcast from Pacific Neuroscience Institute takes you into the clinic, operating room, and laboratory with doctors and surgeons who are tackling the most challenging brain diseases and disorders. Hi, my name is Anthony Effinger, and I'm your host. When you're a doctor treating Parkinson's disease, it's a matter of picking the most appropriate arrow from your quiver. There is no cure for the disease yet, but there are more than 20 different medications that can improve a patient's well-being. Dr. Natalie Diaz, a neurologist who specializes in movement disorders, is familiar with all of them. Some 60,000 Americans are diagnosed with Parkinson's every year, and more than 10 million people worldwide are living with the disease. The risk of Parkinson's increases with age, and that's one of the factors Dr. Diaz considers when recommending treatment. Among the others are symptoms and side effects. In some cases, she may recommend a surgical treatment called deep brain stimulation. Her goal is to keep Parkinson's and its symptoms at bay for as long as possible. And with so many options, patients can live quite well, achieving good quality of life. Listen to this podcast to hear Dr. Diaz talk about how she helps them do it. Dr. Diaz, where are you from? Uh, Born and raised in New York City. And um, then I moved out here for college, went to Loyola Marymount. And then I left the States and went and did medical school in Ireland. Met my husband, (laughs) came back to do my training here in the US. Let's see, I went and did my neurology residency at Northwestern in Chicago and then um, back here to LA where my family had finally settled and um, finished the last bit of my training at UCLA and that's where I've stayed. Awesome, awesome. And how did you decide that you wanted to go into movement disorders? So I was in my neurology training at Northwestern, and um, at that point, I was thinking I might go into stroke. I kind of liked um, everything I had learned about stroke, and I was thinking about doing some electives and and going down that route. Um, And as I've said many times, you know, a lot in life come, you know, happens because of people that you meet and the mentors and teachers that you have, and so... I, you know, it was a very competitive time to do stroke. I couldn't get the elective that I wanted. So I ended up doing an elective with somebody at our university that does movement disorders. She happened to be the director of the residency program at the time. And, uh, you know, spent a month with her and she was a great teacher. And um, I just found it fascinating, you know, the the kind of the patients that I came across, you know, the the power of you know, watching somebody even before you sit down and and have your appointment with them, you see how they walk in from the elevator, you watch how they're moving, you listen to how they're talking, how they're interacting with other people. And many times we can almost make the diagnosis before we've even examined them just by listening and looking at some of those things, listening to the symptoms that they've had. And, And so I fell in love with that part of neurology that it's, you know, so conceptual and watching and observational and um it uh and and uh 
the, the conditions that I treat, they're chronic conditions. And I love that I, um, you know, long term, I get to establish a relationship with these patients, get to know them, get to know their families, um, do a lot of counseling. And so, you know, it was it was that first elective that I did with this one mentor that really just solidified it for me. Um, this is what I wanted to do. Very cool. Very cool. And how does the diagnosis typically happen? What can a patient expect? So, you know, a lot of neurology and movement disorders is, a, is, is really specific in this. You know, these are mainly clinical disorders, a lot of them, meaning that we don't have one test that definitively gives you a diagnosis. It's a combination of, you know, gathering all their medical history. What are the symptoms they've had? Um, how have they started? How have they progressed over time? And um, our examination, looking for certain things, and that gives us a suspicion of what we think is happening. And then we'll use other tools like MRI or other imaging or other tests to kind of help us hone it down. But it's a very clinical diagnosis in the sense that it's a process, you know, going through the exam, the history, and then using um, testing to help us hone it in. Um, so, you know, I, I'm a specialist, I'm a, a movement disorder specialist, so sometimes when people come to see me, I'm not the first neurologist that they've seen. Occasionally it is, but sometimes they, you know, these conditions are hard to diagnose or sometimes they're hard for people to accept. So people might see you know, more than one neurologist. Um, and so, you know, for, for me, it's I'm trying to gather all this information. And sometimes, you know, we don't come to the diagnosis on the first visit, but it's, you know, come and meet, let's get to know each other, let's collect all the information that we have, and then, you know, go through this process. Right, right. And what are the most common diagnoses that you typically see? By far, it's going to be Parkinson's disease. That's that's what uh, the bulk of our clinics are, is Parkinson's disease. Um, and it is actually something that we're diagnosing more and more these days. Then there's a variety of, of uh, conditions that are similar to Parkinson's or under the umbrella of Parkinson's, but are different than Parkinson's, how they progress, how we treat them. Tremor, uh, essential tremor and different tremor disorders, and they can sometimes be confused with Parkinson's disease. And then um, I see a variety of other types of uh, conditions that have to do with um, movement, motor control, how, you know, how the body walking issues, um, limb mobility issues, um, dystonia, where people get sort of stuck in postures. Mm -hmm. And um, and then I, I do a type of therapy that's called Botox therapy. So if people have had like a stroke and they have an immobile stiff arm, I help loosen their, their limbs to help them move a little bit more freely. And now a message from our sponsor. The Think Neuro podcast is brought to you by Pacific Neuroscience Institute Foundation, a nonprofit 501c3 organization. If you're inspired by what you hear and wish to support our mission of education through innovation, please visit pacificneuro.org foundation. What kind of treatments exist for Parkinson's? 
Most of them are um, oral medications, you know, and uh, we, we don't unfortunately have a cure for Parkinson's yet. Um, but we have an arsenal of medications that, that we um, have available to treat Parkinson's and it's a very individual condition. So, you know, not everybody's gonna be on the same medication when we start, it progresses differently in different people. So we have, you know, a whole array of medications to choose from these days. I think at last time I, I checked, we have more than 20 different medications available for Parkinson's disease. But, you know, we take a lot into account a patient's age, what symptoms they're having, at what stage of the condition they are, and what potential side effects they could have from these to decide where we're gonna go with medications. There's surgical therapy, something that we call deep brain stimulation that's also available. Um, it's not a therapy that is a good choice for everybody, so it's important to work with a movement disorder specialist or a neurologist that really understands it to understand who is a good candidate for deep brain stimulation. And then of course we use other specialists like physical therapists, occupational therapists, speech therapists, because it's very important to have these therapies that really help people exercise, how to use their muscles more effectively, how to use their speech more effectively. Um, the patients have to do their part as well, which means exercise is very important, not only Parkinson's, but a lot of these conditions. We've learned over the last decade that regular exercise, staying active is so good for the brain, not only for mobility, but memory, um, you know, uh, stress levels, sleep, all those sort of things are very important, you know, for our general well-being and regular exercise helps us regulate those. Would you say that a patient would be able to live an active, healthy, happy life after a diagnosis? That's what we strive for. You know, my goal is to try to find ways to treat patients so they can keep doing what they want to do. It is, I mean, most of the conditions that I deal with are progressive conditions, but most of them are a slow progression over years. And so our goal is to try to pick and choose therapies that allow them to move and do the things they want to do. Don't bog them down with side effects. Um, but our goal is to try to keep people doing, you know, hobbies and work and enjoying family life as long as they can. Thanks. And what would you say to a patient who might be hesitant or nervous about a diagnosis? Yeah, we get that a lot. You know, people sometimes don't go see their doctors because of fear of what they might find or fear of what they might do or, um, you know, and, and, I, and I get it. You know, there's this fear of the unknown or what's going to happen to me or what's going to happen to my family. I get it. The problem is, you know, a lot of these conditions are treatable. Like we have good medications and sometimes, you know, people wait until things are so bad that then it's hard to kind of backtrack and start things when people are already at that point of a lot of disability or mobility. And always, um, you know, it's, it's good for people to find doctors they feel comfortable with, that mm -hmm. they can have open communication with and realize that we're never going to, you know, force anything on anybody. It's really good to just go get the information, have a conversation. What are the options that you have? What do you have? What are the options that you have? And then make informed decisions. And that's, and that's very important because sometimes people are out there and they're suffering needlessly when we can do something about it and, and keep them on the road to like enjoying their life.
anything else that you would like people to know about your work? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, um, like I mentioned, I, I deal with conditions that are long-term and sometimes I make the initial diagnosis, but I think a lot of the time people come to me after they've, you know, kind of gone a couple of places and they really need a home. And I try to make this a very holistic sort of relationship where they get to know me. I think it's very important that they feel like um, they can communicate with me freely. I get to know them and I always hope that people bring family with them so that, you know, there's a conversation going because, you know, this these conditions affect the family as well. They don't only affect the patient, they affect the spouse, they could affect kids. Um, so it's always important for everybody to be on the same page and realize that, you know, we don't treat the condition. We're not treating Parkinson's when somebody comes to see me. I'm treating the person and the condition that they have. So we look at things from their perspective and what's going to work for them and not just generally kind of go down the book of what, you know, what, what the treatment for Parkinson's is. Beautiful. Thank you, Dr. Diaz. Yeah. Thank you for joining us today on the Think Neuro podcast. Join us every month for a new episode and learn how some of the best minds in medicine are caring for the most complex structures in the human body. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe to it and please share it with a friend and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for joining us.